What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode, I want to talk about the season that is, trade season. We're going to do three full segments on the Blazers' trade possibilities, but we're going to get more specific than just the broad world of who's out there and how they get them. There have been a string of national reports from Brian Windhorst and Sam Amick basically indicating that the Blazers are not expected to be active on the trade market when the trade deadline hits on February 6th and leading up to that February 6th deadline. That kind of flies in the face of the long-held assumptions about the Blazers and how they would approach the deadline. Heading into the season and basically probably since the end of July, the presumption Commonly held belief from fans, certainly this media member and others like him, was that the Blazers would be active in the trade market, particularly because they have the ability to flip large expiring contracts of Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore. Not just that they have the ability to flip those contracts, but if they don't flip them, those guys leave for nothing and you get one-year rentals of relatively good players. But now, as we lead up to the deadline, it seems like there are indications from the national media that the Blazers are telling other executives that maybe they're not going to make a move. So, what I want to do in this episode is give specifics as to why that might make sense. This isn't a value judgment. Personally, I think the Blazers probably should take on a bunch of big salary, pay an absurd luxury tax bill because billionaires and their estates don't need that extra cash and because Damian Lillard's time as one of the 10 best players in the world is finite. However, that belief is probably not shared by Blazers management. It's almost certainly not shared by the ownership group. And that might feed into why they stand pat at the trade deadline. But the way I see it, that isn't one of the leading reasons. So let me spell out the three leading reasons why they might not do anything when the trade deadline comes. And then in the second, third segments, we'll talk about the specifics of why it might be difficult to trade Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore. So first, why the Blazers might not do anything or have trouble doing things at the deadline? There's some self-imposed limits they've placed on this team. And the self-imposed limits maybe are what Neil Olshay terms discipline. He told the Athletics' Jason Quick that the plan is to start next season with Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, and Yusuf Nurkic as the starting group. That's his starting five for next season. That means Zach Collins is off the table. Rodney Hood, healthy, would have been a useful trade chip. Uh, I don't think he's really someone teams would trade for. He's got a player option and coming off what tends to be a very difficult injury. Don't think Dame, CJ, or Nurk were ever on the trading block, but at some point, the Blazers' best bet to get really good probably involves figuring out how to trade CJ McCollum. It's not a guarantee, but it's certainly an option that I think they should explore as opposed to saying that that it is completely off the table. Those self-imposed limits are one of the hindrances in making deals. When teams call and they say, well, Zach Collins is your best young asset. He looks like, of the young players, the guy with the clearest path to being good and effective soonest. Well, 
The Blazers have already publicly said that they won't trade Zach Collins. And you can imagine, or if you trust that what is said publicly is also what's said privately, then that's what other teams get when they call on the phone and they try to build packages around Zach Collins. I don't think the other four guys are really uh, sort of importantly part of the self-imposed limits, but Collins, as a as a young player that could entice teams to get rid of real talent, because teams trading away real talent now usually want something that's going to be real talent in the future, Collins is probably the Blazers' best bet. And taking him off the board, being disciplined by knowing what they want to do next year, limits what they can do now. So those self-imposed limits are going to make it harder to get deals done in the next three weeks. The next big reason that the Blazers might not be taking a swing at the deadline is because they're not very good. The on-court struggles this year means there's less reason for risk. Why mortgage some of your future in order to chase the 8th seed in the West? Or if you're really greedy, chase the 7th seed in the West? They're just not in a position where they can say, let's get good right now. Let's maximize right now. Let's maximize these next four months, and then we'll try to figure out the next four years. If they were really good, if they were among the top teams in the West, even if they were second trailing behind the Lakers, if, say, the Blazers were in the position that the Nuggets are in now, then maybe you say, okay, I'm willing to give up Anthony Simons, I'm willing to give up Nazir Little, I'm willing to give up even a Zach Collins, you know, maybe the self-imposed limits change a little bit if you're a little bit better. But because they're not good, it just risking any part of the plan for 2020 and 2021 probably is a mistake, or at least it seems less desirable. As Dan Devine of The Ringer wrote, it might make the most sense for the Blazers to, quote, ride out the suck. And I loved that line when I first read it, and I'm starting to believe in it now, is that this team doesn't have a natural path to get good, as I'll explore later in this episode. So maybe it makes more sense to just hope that guys come back get healthy, you make the eighth seed, you get smoked by the Lakers, and you regroup for next year with a healthy core. I think the on-court struggles certainly factor in the Blazers' unwillingness to swing a big trade. And the third thing I think that factors into their maybe decisions to not make a move at the deadline is because, certainly because of two of the above and the myriad injuries that have struck them this season, that The Blazers' depth, or lack their depth, makes trading two big expiring contracts a lot more challenging. You don't have guys who can naturally fill in the wings. If you're saying, well, let's get something for Hassan Whiteside, that something kind of has to be a center who can play because you don't have that on the roster. You're down to one center. So what seemed inevitable flipping those deals for literally anything. I think that was I think that was the, the thinking really back in in August. Well, you know, they'll just flip these deals for something, even if it's two second round picks. Just get them off the roster, get something in return, move forward without wasting the deal. But self-imposed limits, on-court struggles, and then having just no depth means that you can't. You have to get something back in these deals that can play. And I'll talk about this more specifically in the Kent Bazemore segment, but 
you need you just you need, you need ten guys. You can't trade for just draft picks. Uh, you you've just the injuries the particularly injuries up front. Not having Scalabies here. Not having Zach Collins. Having Pal Gasol never work out. Uh, refusing to sign other big men, I guess, uh, behind them has just means that you don't have. You need help up front. So trading Hassan Whiteside means you need help up front. And the wing depth is equally shallow. So trading Kent Bazemore means you need somebody to play there. So those three things, I think, are the biggest limitations for the Blazers. Their self-imposed limits, the fact that being bad means less reason to risk the short term, and just the total lack of depth might mean that they in due deed ride out the suck. So... In the second segment, I want to talk specifically about Hassan Whiteside. What are the challenges with trading Hassan? Because it seemed inevitable. But I want to give real reasons why it might be somebody they hold on to. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Echelon Fit. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in, sh- in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 Connected Fitness Bike that offers a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone. Busy moms and dads, first responders, elite athletes, whatever your level of physical activity. And with daily, live, and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, they'll give you your money back. Join the hundreds of thousands of people who are getting fit with Echelon. Don't pay a ton for Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. To do that, here's what you do. Go to echelonfit.com L-O-N-B-A to learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. Echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. All right. The first segment, we talked about the specifics on why the Blazers might not be players at the trade deadline. Why they might just stand pat and stick with the roster. And when we talk about the trade deadline, what we're really talking about with the Trailblazers is will they move the expiring contracts of Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore? And that's what I want to finish out the show talking about. I want to talk about those two guys specifically, the hurdles the Blazers would have to get over in order to move those guys. Let's start with the big one because you want to hear him first. You'll settle for uh, Kent Bazemore trade talk, but you came to the show for the Hassan Whiteside trade talk. So let me give it to you. First, the basics. Hassan Whiteside makes $27 million, which makes him the 37th highest paid player in the NBA, making more money than the likes of Nikola Jokic, LaMarcus Aldridge, for now, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Rudy Gobert, certainly others. But I am not here to stare at Hassan Whiteside's wallet in jealousy. I'm here to point out that making a bunch of money makes him hard to trade. The players ahead of him on this list are virtually untradeable. Steph Curry, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kemba Walker, Paul George, Klay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, 
Mike Conley, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, Nikola Vucevic, Kevin Love. What? Kevin Love? Yeah, okay, so you get the point. There's basically one person on this list that is a very obvious trade. That's why Kevin Love's name keeps coming up, because the Blazers have an easy avenue to go acquire him. But more importantly, other teams don't have packages. Say they wanted to get in on the Hassan Whiteside giveaway. They know that the Blazers are giving away a first-round pick. They're giving away a young sweetener like Cary Trent Jr., and all you have to do is absorb Hassan Whiteside's contract. Well, there aren't that many teams that can make the money work. It's not that easy because one-for-one trades, as I have just outlined, are not super simple. And at this stage in the season, there's only one team in the NBA that even has salary cap space. That's the Atlanta Hawks. Conceivably, teams like the Knicks, Bulls, Kings could get involved in absorbing Hassan Whiteside because they have space under the luxury tax where they could absorb a large contract, but it's just not easy. It's not simple. So at the beginning of the season, it seemed like even at this big price tag, there would be teams that would fall out of the race and end up willing to give up big money, even if it's expiring for expiring, to give up someone who makes the right amount of money to make a white side deal work. But for a variety of reasons, those players or those teams are kind of out of the running. Let's start in Toronto, where Marcus Gasol or Serge Ibaka were expected to be expendable at some point. You could throw Kyle Lowry maybe in there too, but the Blazers weren't trading for a point guard. So let's just talk about the two, the two bigs, veteran bigs. The Raptors were supposed to take a step back this season. They were supposed to be a fringe playoff team or a bottom playoff team in the East, and maybe it was the time that they blow up the roster and kind of move forward. They won a championship. They've got an old and expensive group. Maybe it's time to move on. Instead, the Raptors are really good. They could conceivably get back to the Eastern Conference Finals if everyone's healthy. They're that good defensively, and when they're healthy, they've got a they've got a championship core. That team is good. So Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka aren't, probably aren't going anywhere. They're almost certainly going to be in Toronto past the deadline and into the playoffs. The other sort of obvious name that comes up is Otto Porter. He makes about the same amount of money as Hassan Whiteside, who could be available in a trade, but he can't get on the court and stay healthy. If you can't play, you're really not expendable. And as I mentioned in the first segment, one of the big things about the Blazers' situation is they can't trade for hope. They kind of need to trade for someone who can play, and they also kind of need to trade, if they remove us on Whiteside, they need to trade for a center. They cannot have Anthony Tolliver as their starting center and, I guess, Carmelo Anthony, Jalen Horde as their backup center and move forward with that group. Otto Porter took himself out of the running by not being available, not being healthy. Blazers also maybe would have taken this risk if things had gone a little bit differently with their own health. But that's why I did the first segment first, so you would understand the limitations. So that means the only sort of obvious name making the right amount of money who's been linked to the Blazers and likely on the trade block is Kevin Love. And the Blazers trading for Kevin Love comes with real risk. I think I've said on this podcast before that I'm generally in favor of the Kevin Love deal, and I think I am. I think because the Blazers' window to be competitive is small, I think you try to maximize your talent. I don't think they're going to add a player better than Kevin Love in free agency. There's a chance they add multiple players on cheaper deals that work out better than just having Kevin Love um, and 
all that money guaranteed to him. He's making $90 million after this season and the remaining three years of his deal. He will turn 32 before next season starts. There is certainly some risk. He probably has to play center. He's not a great defensive player. Having a bad defensive center with Damon CJ is a nightmare. Playing him next to Yusuf Nurkic and asking him to play a ton of power forward just limits what this team is. They would probably raise their offensive ceiling a ton, which is why I'm in favor of it, but there are clear limitations defensively and also financially. But that's kind of the short list of who the Blazers could trade for with Hassan's White, Hassan Whiteside's contract without getting creative. There are other avenues out there, but why I highlighted those four is because you can see that maybe the obvious paths have already dried up. And because the Blazers don't want to include a young player, because maybe they don't want to take on take on a bunch of long-term money and either be a tax team forever or just limit their flexibility, whichever way you'd like to spin it, then it limits who they're willing to take back. There are certainly other deals out there with multi multiple players that the Blazers could swing in order to move Whiteside, but what I wanted to highlight is just how thin that group really is. Whiteside, I'm not a fan of his game. I don't think I think his offensive limitations are such that they've really hurt the Blazers this year. They've uh, they've slipped back out of the top ten offensively. Uh, they're just not a good defensive team, which isn't totally his fault. I don't think he's this elite defender. I think he's out of position a lot of times. Um, I don't I don't really buy the lazy narrative, and I do think he hunts blocks a little bit, but he probably gets dinged for hunting blocks more than he actually does hunt blocks. I just think he's kind of a replacement level, you know, league average center, but he's making $27 million, so he's hard to move. And the Blazers aren't willing to take on the other risks that are associated or tack on the other sweeteners that are associated to move him. There's a limited field, and the Blazers have a limited willingness in what they'd receive on the way back. All right, in the third segment, I want to talk about Ken Bazemore. He's going to be hard to trade too, and I want to... Outline why. All right. Still locked on Blazers. Still Mike Richmond. I'm still past first point guard and we're still talking trades. I laid out why the Blazers might stand pat at the deadline. I tried to give you an idea of how hard it is to trade Hassan Whiteside in the second segment. And now I want to close the show giving the specifics on why it might be hard to move Bays. Kent Baysmore was supposed to be expendable. He was supposed to be expendable. That was the plan because the Blazers had Rodney Hood and Anthony Simons was going to emerge as a player that they could play next to Damon CJ or at least play a bunch at the two and they'd figure it out and trade Bazemore for Danilo Gallinari and fix all their woes and chase a Western Conference Finals appearance again. But Bazemore has had some obvious struggles. He's shooting a career low, 36.2% on two-pointers which has led to a career-worst field goal percentage, and he's averaging more turnovers than assists for the first time in his career. And yet, and yet, he's still an integral part of the Blazers' playoff hopes. Look at the rest of the roster and find someone who could reasonably start at power forward in place of Bays. Did you just point at Mario Hazonia? You're wildin'. Are you thinking of saying Nazir Little? You are wrong. Do you want to play... Carmelo Anthony at small forward? Here's the bad news. That means Anthony Tolliver starts at the four. They need Bays. 
because this roster was really thin on wings to begin with, really thin at forward to begin with, and got even more so with the injury of Rodney Hood, and because Anthony Simons is a 20-year-old still figuring out the league. That means if you trade Kent Bazemore, you need to get back someone who can reasonably start at small forward in the NBA. Not play small forward, start at small forward in the NBA. There's not a lot of good wings in the league. That's the thinnest position in the NBA, and the already shallow pool just naturally limits the trade possibilities because teams that have that player aren't willing to part with that player, or they're also looking for a talented wing. So the Blazers were still supposed to be able to swing a deal, right? Uh, Ken Bazemore makes $19.3 million. It's less than uh, Hassan Whiteside significantly, so it really opens up the possibilities for trades. But as I mentioned in the first segment, the Blazers being bad, the Blazers having their own self-imposed limitations, and the Blazers' lack of depth has limited who they might chase say, Andre Iguodala. Well, that's a really interesting trade a few months ago when the Blazers are a playoff-type team, but now the price for Iguodala might include a draft pick. Do you really trade a draft pick to get a 34-year-old who's definitely going to leave in the summer on a team that might not make the playoffs? That seems like a waste. Do you trade for a guy like Derek Favors, knowing that you would have to pay him this summer and that you would have to sell him on being a backup, not only to Yusuf Nurkic, but also a healthy Zach Collins. Other guys that could be in the mix for a Kent Bazemore type deal would be Kelly Oubre or Thad Young. Don't think the Suns are going to trade Kelly Oubre because they're good now. Why would they take a serious step back? And Thaddeus Young can't play small forward, so the Blazers would be less inclined to make that deal. They'd have to get someone in there too, like Thomas Sadoransky, or bring a third team in to get a wing. And like I said, there aren't a lot of wings. And just as a larger point, why trading Kent Bazemore and Hassan Whiteside is tougher than all the things I've already listed is because of the value of expiring contracts has declined over the past decade really over the past 15 years, but certainly over the past decade, there aren't these seven-year albatross deals out there like there were 10 years ago where teams were stuck paying a guy for six and seven years and they were dying to just get a giant expiring deal and get off of that money. The longest contracts in the NBA are five years, and those can only go to special type players. Most guys sign for four years or less. The People are shorter term deals mean teams aren't strapped into paying guys tons of money, so expiring deals have less value. I think the Blazers can still trade Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore. I think it's possible. I think they can be creative and find a deal, but it might mean a couple things. It might mean they punt on the playoffs. That's a hard thing to sell to Damian Lillard, who I think an important part of his brand is that he's only missed the playoffs once and that he truly believes he can take teams there. It's a tough sell to tell him, hey, this team stinks, we're waving the white flag. It's also tough to sell because the Blazers have the highest payroll in the league. Maybe they want to make the playoffs, get a little playoff money. It's also tough because you have to field a real NBA team. You, The Blazers have so few eligible bodies right now that they kind of got to make these deals with the idea that 
whoever they get back has to play and play real minutes. So you mean you need to get a, probably a starting center, a starting wing. You could use another power forward. They need to swing a deal for specific parts, not just load up on talent and figure it out. They need to land specific players. That means the Blazers have to get creative. I certainly didn't exhaust in my research for this podcast every single option out there. I wasn't creating three-team deals on Trade Machine. I encourage you to do that. You can get creative out there. But I wanted to put this podcast into the ether just to explain that it will be challenging. And because of those challenges, both internal and external, that the Blazers have, it might not be realistic to expect them to make a trade. They might just have to let Kent Bazemore and Hassan Whiteside walk and go into the postseason or go, excuse me, the offseason with, you know, 12 or $13 million in cap space and hope they can sign guys on the cheap that make this team better for the future. They may have put themselves in a situation with injuries and their roster building plan that they just got to ride out the suck. I don't know if that's the right idea. In fact, I think I'm pretty clear that I don't think it's the right idea. But what I wanted to explain is why they might think it is. You can make your own decisions. That's going to do it for this episode. Do me a favor. Tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them they can find it where they already get podcasts. That's on Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.